Welcome to the Mindset Maker Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Each week, I interview mindset experts and discuss tools and research designed to help you unlock your mindset and improve your results. Today on the show, we are fortunate to have Jacqueline Kerr with us. She is a behavior scientist and burnout survivor. She's in the top 1% of most cited scientists worldwide and received over $56 million in funding from the National Institutes of Health to research behavior, to research health behavior change solutions for individuals and communities. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. We're so excited to have you. Would you mind telling people a little bit about your background and kind of how you got started with that? Right. So um, actually, I'd always wanted to change the world since I was pretty small. Um, my school had an election day when I was about 10 years old and I stood for no school rules and, and I won. <laughs> and that's kind of like that was me. Right. <laughs> Don't follow politics. Let's just make up our own rules and have fun while it. we're at it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I actually lost my grandfather quite young um, and saw my grandmother as a sort of 50 year old um, starting out a whole new life on her own. But it it made me aware of the heart disease risk that my family mm. had um, and also then um, cancer risk that my family ha also has. So I've always been aware of that kind of risk and wanting to do things for myself that, mm -hmm. that helped with my health. And so then when I found a career that allowed me to sort of put this, um, you know, wanting to change the world and being persuasive, I, I spent a little time in advertising too, to okay. actually helping people with their health, that was the perfect mix for me. So how do we get communities and people to be healthier? So, you know, I went through master's, PhD, loved research, and then came to the US in 2004 okay. to do a postdoc, and then just went into the sort of professor track, just loving the research, very much focusing on that, um, and so passionate about it, because really, every day we were um, helping improve people's lives and, and mostly empowering them to improve their own life and improve their own community, and and that was the the best part of it when we had crosswalks built or you know different things changed in the community to actually support change as well it, it really felt like we were changing the world so that was where I was at um it's an intense career in medical research particularly in the U.S. yeah I became a mom I have two kids um my oldest son um, was being diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Mm. And I just took on more and more leadership thinking I needed more and that that was better. And I burnt out. So I experienced, um, you know, a, a period of suicide ideation, I took a leave mm. of absence. And um, then when I went back, the stress just hit me like a truck, and I realized I couldn't keep going. So that's when I started to go, okay, what do I do about mindset? Because I knew it was partly the environment I was in, mm -hmm. but what was the most important thing was what could I own? What could I control? And what mm -hmm. could I do? Right. Wow. That's amazing. What a, what a powerful story. So, I mean, really you had spent how many years uh, focusing on that career? So I, I didn't know if it was a midlife crisis because I was 45 or so yeah. when I started to feel it all come apart. So I had uh -huh. spent um, over 20 years 
Yeah, wow. investing in my education and my training in my right. team, you know, building a whole research um, group with students with with long careers that I wanted them to have as well. So yeah, it was um, it was a tough. I mean, it wasn't a tough decision in some ways. Like it was a really easy, easy decision. Someone described mm-hmm. it as like, you know, letting go of 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 the chains that were holding me down. And when I mm-hmm. felt like that, I was like, yeah, I can do this. This the way I feel in this job it is is you know not worth it. I mean, I was sort of crying on the way to work and on the way home because because mm-hmm. motherhood was so hard for me too. I I wanted to be the best mom too. And this super mom role was just exhausting. Um, I can't imagine. Yeah. So I started out by reading two two books that kind of really changed my mindset. One was um, Greg McKeown's Essentialism. And okay. that was basically saying, like, focus on you. You're, you're the asset, right? Uh-huh. Focus on you and what you want to do. And that mindset of thinking, yeah, I am the asset. Like, if I fall apart, you know, my family falls apart. So oh. um, it was really helpful to shift that and say, it's okay to to look after me and mm-hmm. and think about my needs and then the second book was carol dweck's mindset and to read that oh my god it helped me so much because i definitely had been brought up with that mind that that sort of it, belief that i wasn't actually smart i was just very hard working mm-hmm. and it kind of took away from anything i achieved because i had achieved it through hard work and somehow that wasn't good enough mm. um and so learning so much about mindset i very much realized I'd, I'd grown up and had quite a fixed mindset so once i started to embrace that even how i felt about leaving academia i was happy and sad and that i could mm. be in these two places at once mm. um so that those those were really um life-changing for me in terms of shifting how I thought about myself Um, and then I started working with coaches so I'm not a coach myself I'm Mm -hmm. much more on the strategic side of burnout prevention at the organizational level Mm -hmm. but oh my goodness I've benefited so much from coaching because that really is it's Mm -hmm. helping you with your mindset and when it comes to burnout and mindset um, how would you how would you say that you know, your mindset contributes to burnout because, um, and I guess what would, what would your advice be for people listening today that perhaps they're feeling like they're starting to have the onsets of, of burnout? Mm-hmm. So I really think when we think about burnout, it, it is about person environment fit. There is definitely two sides to this. Okay. So if you're an overachiever, if you're a people pleaser, if you're an overgiver, if you're a perfectionist, those things are going to mean that you're going to work harder. So the, the burnout cycle from Drs. Freudenberg and North basically says you start by needing to prove yourself, you work harder, you avoid conflict, you suppress your needs, you go into denial, you become withdrawn, and that all then leads into this burnout cycle. So can you anyone that starts from that point of needing to prove themselves and working harder it is on the path to burnout in some ways. Mm. And so, um, yeah, that that's so you do have to be aware about, about those tendencies, but they are mm. tendencies, right? We can we can overgive or we can give. You know, we we, we don't always have to. Um, you know, even women, for example, may have to be two and a half times more productive than a man to get to the same place, mm-hmm. but we don't have to be ten times mm. more. 
Um, and so it's so important that, so I think a, a couple of things that really go along with this issue is like, if you tell someone to rest, mm-hmm. whose self-worth is tied to their work, mm-hmm. they're not going to do it, right? It just right. doesn't match with their belief set. So again, what we really have to help people work through is this guilt about doing less, this guilt about saying no, mm-hmm. this guilt about focusing on yourself. And it's like, how do you let go of that guilt um mm. and and it's and it's really hard to do and it's hard to do when you're surrounded by other super moms proving mm-hmm. that they can do it all um so one of the tips i i have is is about well you know again from from coaching your mindset might not change but you could still say no right mm. you may feel guilty when you say mm-hmm. no but you still have to do the thing that that gives you relief and mm. and saying no is is one of those biggest things and it's not easy to do when we have these stereotypes of people who who are supposed to always be there to serve others it it's a real challenge so so i don't underestimate how hard that is but it, it it's again despite what we might think and feel about it we have to just embrace that discomfort and realize it's the saying no that's going to help us. Because once you start to, for example, track how many times you say yes and no, oh my God, it's so shocking how many times you say yes without even realizing that you're saying wow, yes. Wow, that is an interesting. Even asked. Yeah, that is interesting. I've never thought of that. And, you know, I would even argue too, like um, by saying no to things, you're able to perform and do so much better at the things you do say yes to, right? You give yourself more space to perform at your highest level. So if you have 10 things in a given day to do, and you say no to five, and you just focus on the five core things that are most important, you know, you're really going to be able to pour um, all of your energy into them. And something I feel like I have learned in life. um, So about a year ago, I quit my uh, full-time job I was doing marketing for a company and focused just full-time on, um, you know, our app self-pause. It's a positive affirmation mindset app. And at first I was like, you know, it will be nice to have a a few extra hours in the day, but I was like, you know, maybe I could keep doing this part-time and my job part-time. What I found was um, even though, you know, I thought like, oh, I'll have hours in the end of the day to work on it was that by spending the first, you know, half of my day working on my full-time job, my my mental energy and my brain was just like and all my creativity I felt like was just so drained that by the end of the mm-hmm. day when I came to working on what I was really passionate about you know um, I felt like I didn't have like the mental energy to to give to it so I think you know being able to say no to things to really focus on what's most important to you um, can have so many implications and you have so much more creativity and mental energy and passion that you can really give exactly those things and there are actually numbers like you kind of mentioned some numbers there but some that I would recommend is for example of your list of things do one out of seven things on your list of things really with the best part of you um with your with your full energy just do one Mm. out of seven things on your list right so I think that's important um two if you are being asked to do many things and you start to notice how many things don't say yes more than one in 10 times right wow yeah (laughs) and then if you are able to do Greg McKeown's essentialism exercises which basically says which ones of these do you love out of 10 Mm -hmm. and then you only actually do the things that you love 
70%, seven out of 10 times, because mm-hmm. you you don't want to, you know, be doing the things. I mean, it's easy to say, well, do what you want or love. But again, it's, it's really starting to be able to shift that focus um, to those things, because you have to find a way of, of getting energy. And again, as people that volunteer and overget it, give it's so hard to say no it's so hard to 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 kind of withdraw that that um that nature and that giving that that brings you so much joy in some ways too but it's really about thinking about that season this is not my season of giving this Mm -hmm. is my season of energizing focusing on myself um saying no and uh, again if you were building a business then you'd be in a year of saying yeses, right? Um, but really, if you're in burnout, it's it's much more about, you know, a decent length of time of saying no. Um, and actually, this other one is having a mediocre mindset. And again, this was a fantastic tool given to me by a coach. Um, and no, no offense here, but she basically said, you need a mediocre man mindset. And I was like, mm. okay, what does that mean? So here's an example. I was walking with a friend, she's trying to get a book published, so she has to write about um, other books that are competitors to her as part of that book proposal process. And she said, I'm getting really stuck. I said, how many books are you reviewing? And she said, 30. I went, okay, how many would a mediocre man review? And she said, two, straight away, no question. Like she knew straight (laughs) away. And I said, so how about you do four? Right. So for some reason, when you, you know, as I say, I'm sorry that it sounds offensive, but it's it's like if you've got every other super mom in your head and thinking, what would she do? Oh, she'd do 40. She'd do 50. Right. That's just Mm -hmm. taking us down the wrong path. Whereas if we can say, you know, how many dads are feeling guilty that they didn't volunteer in school? And you're like, how many dads even know there is volunteering in school, you know, and it just totally resets like your bar for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it is, it's, it's like, how can you create this, this persona that helps you um, let go of guilt? Like what, what is there a persona that doesn't feel guilt mm-hmm. that, that, um, that, um, doesn't have unreasonable expectations that that's mm-hmm. where you want to check yourself against and and that's very hard to find um in in a world where we're all trying to <laughs> prove ourselves <laughs> completely yeah no completely i i love that that's uh that's genius because yeah really by trying to do 30 books like you're never going to do them as well as if you just did four really well and you were able to give your full self kind of like you're saying do one of your seven things with your full energy and your full self talking about um because i'm you know i'm so blown away by the amount of time you did spend studying like behavior change um and stuff in your professional uh, in your professional life what did you see as far as um, you know, the impacts of your mindset, perhaps in some of the studies you're doing or, or otherwise on on that aspect of things on kind of like behavior change and, and healthy communities and stuff. Yeah, I think particularly for behavior change, um, again, it, it does come back to some of these um, coaching models when you think about you can have thoughts and feelings but what do you do and that Mm -hmm. that sometimes you can't change those thoughts and feelings but if you do something at least you're moving in the right direction or by doing something 
maybe the thoughts and feelings will also change. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's with um, behavior change is, is very much about deciding what it is you want to do. Now, often we're really bad at choosing what that is. Um, for example, my husband recently decided he wanted to do this whole thing that one of his younger colleagues was doing, which was you do a press up and a sit up every day and add one every day. And I said, mm -hmm. okay, I can totally support you with goal setting around that. We'll track it on the wall. We'll do all this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it needs to be tracked on the wall where you can see it, where I can see it to say, well, done you did it today mm -hmm. you know so we set it up so there's all these things when you do behavior change you need so many supports so you need an accountability partner you need to track how you're getting there um you need social support in terms of is it me that i'm just being the rah-rah social support or is it actually um that i'm driving my kid to a soccer practice or something mm -hmm. you know what are, what are the ways you support people if it's for a mom how do you give her time to to go you know get coaching or something else um, so there is all these um, supports that we need. We also mm -hmm. need to remember to do the dang thing, right? So you mm -hmm. can anchor it to, say, having your coffee or your morning routine. Mm -hmm. um, or, or again, you can have something on your phone or an app. Um, again, that, that helps you. You, you know all this from all yeah. your um, work. But what I think with the apps and things is what we've certainly learned is those are such important tools to remind you and to help you track. But actually, the accountability, to be honest, still is better when it comes from a human. Totally. Um, so if that is a human that really is interacting with you through the app, then, then that's great. So that mm -hmm. human accountability is so important. So you do all those things. But let's go back to it. My husband wanted to do this extra sit up and press up thing every day. And I kept saying to him, okay, why that? And he's like, because I want to. And I was like, okay, is this for, for strength? Is this for, um, you know, looks? Is this, you know, what is it you actually, mm -hmm. why do you want to do this? And he was like, I just want to stop getting injured. And I was like, okay, so what would be the best thing you can do for injury prevention? Is it these sit-ups and press-ups? And he couldn't let go of the sit-ups and press-ups. So he did it. We tracked it. We started it. And guess what? He got injured doing this dang thing. So it's like, you know, you that's where the mindset has to be there. Like, it, it is so hard to find the right thing to do for the thing that you're actually wanting. So you do have to spend a lot of time saying, you know, again, if you're trying to diet or exercise because you don't like yourself and you want to lose weight and, you, you know... The, it's going to be really hard to diet and exercise under mm -hmm. those conditions of totally. not self-love, mm -hmm. you know? So there's got to be a mix, you know, there's got to be a right incentive there. I did a lot of work with older adults and I loved working with them because they had often experienced physical and mental loss. So they okay. wanted it back. Right. And they could really understand what they wanted. They said, mm -hmm. I want to be able to pick my granddaughter up. Right. So that's then their motivation. And then you go, OK, so what is the best form of exercise so that you can do that thing? Mm -hmm. um, so there is definitely a part of any goal setting where you have to work out why are you doing it? And, and where do you want to get to so that you focus on the right goal and then mm -hmm. making that goal um, so that there's a thing called implementation intentions uh -huh. where you're saying, what am I doing it? When am I doing it? How often, where, with whom? And once you start to answer those questions, then you really have a plan. And then right. you go, 
oh, is this feasible or not? And then you really have a good plan or not, right? Mm -hmm. And then you kind of go, okay, this goal is ridiculous because I'm never going to be able to do that every day, you know, or not, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like a reality check. And and having those types of plans, again, the science has shown us um, the more we have these. And then celebrations, we need positive reinforcements. We need celebrations. That's why you need to know you're getting somewhere and getting somewhere where you want to be. For me, I've really struggled with weight loss. And every time I I actually get to a weight that I want to be at, what I'm dreading is not being able to stay at that weight. So there's no Mm. celebration there. Um, So it really is challenging depending on your mindset, Mm -hmm. how you can approach goals in life. Okay, something you said that was really interesting to me talking about your husband and how his his goal was to not get injured. That was kind of like what he was doing. And then he um, did his exercise things. When people are, I guess, what are some good tools or good ways for people perhaps reflecting on their own goals that they have set for themselves to make sure that their goals are really, or I guess maybe their tactics are really aligned with what their ultimate goals are, with what the ultimate, you know, visions or their goal for life is how what are some good ways people can really stay aligned with making sure their tactics or things they're doing on a daily basis align with that and that's such a hard question when you started to ask that I was like oh god he's gonna ask that isn't he because that is really hard to do because one you do need to know like truthfully what it why it is you're doing this and and Mm. if you're doing it kind of for like the wrong reason are you going to give up that reason for doing, you know, there's a lot that can go on there in that, in that, you know, mental battle of, of where you're at. And, and sometimes we just need to start something too. And then the reasons come later. So again, like with exercise, um, after a while, the, the movement itself makes your body feel so good that it self reinforces it. So Mm -hmm. there are some times where that, that can happen. So sometimes you're just like, Oh, forget your mind, just get on and do it. And you'll Mm -hmm. start to feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that can, that's back to that sort of the thoughts and feelings can't change, but the action can change Mm -hmm. it. Um, but I, I think particularly, um, I see this in in organizations and I see this partly in in sometimes coaching um, groups, coaching um, companies that go into organizations. They're going in to try and change something, but they haven't really understood what it is, the the behavior they need to change. What is somebody doing on a day-to-day basis that has to change, that will make a difference to the outcome that they want? Mm -hmm. And two what are the things that change that behavior? Because in so many situations, again, people that are working on, oh, it's all about your thoughts. But actually, for example, to develop confidence um, is such an important part of behavior change. But Mm. but it's not developing confidence isn't like feeling better about yourself. It's actually practicing the thing you have to do, developing the skill you need for that behavior change, practicing it, getting feedback, adjusting, failing, practicing, practicing. And when you get mastery, that's when confidence comes. So um, if people don't kind of understand and know how to like in a logic model, unpack the thing that they're trying to get to, Mm -hmm. um, it actually can be quite challenging. And that's where I've worked with quite a few companies now where I'm trying to help them say, what is it? the behavior that you're actually trying to change. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing that companies struggle with is 
how do you operationalize values, right? We have these company missions and company values, but what does that mean in what you do every day? And I think that's mm -hmm. where we're at in kind of the wellness, burnout, DI world of corporate America at the moment is everyone's talking about this thing mm -hmm. that they want to do and they're claiming these values and they're claiming these intentions. But actually what I say is, the gap between intention and action is as big as the Grand Canyon, right? 100%, so it, yeah. it, it's, you know, these intentions, these wanting to do the right thing is so inadequate. We have to start practicing the skills, getting training in the skills for the behaviors that we actually want to do. Because at this stage, being aware of the problem is not enough, right? We really have to move into what are the things we do every day differently um so again it, it really is then okay coming from that what is the outcome you want and what are the behaviors that will most lead to that outcome and to be honest it's a lot of experimenting in mm -hmm. those situations and that's that's totally okay if we could have that mindset that experimentation is part of our finding the answer then we wouldn't be so hard on ourselves right when we fail totally i love that yeah that's that's so important so i had a question for you about um, your time as a, you know, a behavior change scientist, what is one piece of research or one study that you participated in, or maybe that you saw, I guess, what's your, the most interesting finding perhaps I know there's, you know, through a whole bunch of years and, uh, and a lot of stuff, but is there like just a really interesting study or really interesting finding you have from, from that period? <laughs> that's a hard question too because my brain is just filled with all these different studies and things um so i think a, a couple if i if i may a couple yeah go so, for it so i love i love being involved in paradigm shifts right okay. and that's when um you you know you really change how something is done in science and sometimes that comes because you work with a, a a totally different group of people and you take something from their area of science apply it to yours and you just mm -hmm. go boom everything changes cool. so you know it, it, in the days when um fitbits and accelerometers and everything started they were always um initially trained on athletes running on treadmills in labs mm, <laughs> so okay. it was always, you know these these algorithms came from that like mm -hmm. um and i was like okay i work with older adults that doesn't work for me because they do not move like young athletes on a treadmill ever and right. even when i would have them do walking tests there's a functional test for older adults i'd have them do that in their um um in in a, in a clinical setting how they walked in that 400 meter test was totally different to how they walked every other day of their life mm. when they were out in the community. Cause right. I would have uh, devices on people and, and be able to see the difference in their, in mm. their patterns. Um, so that was really great when I actually started to collect free living data on older adults and use that data to actually train these new algorithms in a different way. And in particular training for whether you are standing or sitting. So one of the another paradigm shift in research that I was involved in is from moving from focusing on physical activity as the answer to also focusing on reducing your sitting time. So I was okay. part of the wave of standing 
banding deaths came out as as being um, you know tools that we need to use in the workplace to help us reduce our sitting time, and that reducing our sitting time, breaking it up throughout the day, that also has benefits for for our health. Um, and so it's really important if your devices are only tracking when you move versus when you change posture from sitting to standing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was some of like the the paradigm shifting research that I was involved cool. in that was exciting, right? And uh-huh. has relevance, um, you know, today always. Um, but some of the most empowering stuff was when I was working with older adults, um, training them to become community advocates, and then seeing them go to the mayor and say, it's not okay that we have this, you know, neighborhood and what our environment is like, and actually seeing them get crosswalks built or um, get sidewalks widened, get get sidewalks fixed, get get you know parks cleaned up, um, all sorts of things that they did. Um, that they'd they'd have you know groups where they'd they'd go for walks in the park with the the local police because then they were creating this sort of community um, liaison service and I mean that was just inspirational because again we forget that our older adults are such amazing um, you know members of our community and they've got so much still to give and actually mm-hmm. they've got a great amount of time to do it um and they have actually a lot of political power too because they're because they're such a big voting group so mm-hmm. it was so fascinating to see them be empowered to say hey we we want to live in communities that are, are welcoming and supportive of us and that we're going to make these communities better for everyone because what works for an 80 year old also works for an eight-year-old so that's so cool. That's cool to see, you know, the ripple effect. You have your little influence here and then how that spreads out to, to so many people around you, you know, and I think that happens in a lot of our lives in in our own ways and, you know, really focusing on how to make those those ripples and those impacts as positive as yours is uh, something that can bring a lot of fulfillment. That's really cool. Um, and I think that ripple is so important, if I may say, because, yeah. um, again, we often sort of think, we we learn to do something and then we don't tell anyone we've done it or that it's helped us. We don't mm-hmm. share what it is right. that we learned. We go back into the office and we don't role model out loud that we're putting in boundaries, that we're not answering emails. And when we do all these things out loud, um, we, we, we then help others, give them permission to do the same. And it then changes social norms. And that's what that ripple effect is. Totally. So um, I know in some situations, this is why we have at the moment all this quiet quitting. It's not safe to set boundaries out loud in many mm-hmm. workplaces. But if we can start to do it as a collective, then we all uh, have a more safety and, and, and more power in that. Um, and that's how you do you do get the ripple effects then Um, and so I really believe that because I I definitely know that our policies our institutions our families they all affect us as well Mm -hmm. but also we can affect them back if we start really making what we're doing the change absolutely that's so true that's so true um as we wrap up, I'm wondering if there is one piece of advice you can offer people that are listening to the show today, um, something that you've learned from your life, maybe on how they can positively impact uh, their mindset and maybe ways that that can help themselves and the people around them as well. 
Yeah. So, so one of the tools that I, I also thought, thought was really helpful, um, I actually did improv comedy as well. Okay. <laughs> and, and so again, it, it's just this mindset of, of, of going, um, you know, how can I turn up to something and, and in some ways let go of trying to control everything and just bring myself here very present and, and listening to everyone around me and then see what happens, see what we can create as a, as a team. Um, so I think that kind of uh, approach to, to life um, is, is so helpful. It, it really helped me. Um, and it's about, you know, expressing those emotions no matter mm -hmm. what they are um you know just letting letting you know giving yourself permission to do that because again that's that's part of the process of of what actually um helps other people so so definitely um that that is helpful um one thing that really helped us too particularly was me starting to write down everything I did and mm -hmm. doing those analyses of okay which do I love or not but actually then saying thank you to myself for doing all those things. And when I actually did that, I went, wow, feels good. Like thanking myself for all the things I do for my um, family, for my colleagues, and then sort of realizing, oh, you know, my husband does a lot. I bet he would like if I thanked him too and <laughs> starting to do that. Yeah. And now, yeah, we're definitely in this place where we thank each other for the smallest things. And when I was burnt out, that was actually one of the things that was the crux of the matter. I could not say thank you anymore because nobody thanked me. And so changing that has just, it's so, so great. That's so cool. Jacqueline, you're such an inspiration. That's so, that's so amazing. Um, I love that advice about, you know, finding that gratitude for yourself. Gratitude is just so powerful in general and um, being able to have that self-gratitude is so key on how I love how that changed, you know, yourself first, and then how you're able to look outwards and help, you know, be positive to the people around you. So thank you so much for coming on the show today for all your wisdom and your stories and experience. We really appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much.